My name is Joseph L. Flatley, and I'm a journalist who specializes in conspiracy theories and French culture. Over the years, I've met cultists and occultists, flat earthers, and doomsday bunker salesmen, to name only a few. One thing I hear often is that the end of the world is near, and these days, you have to wonder if there might be some truth to that. My new podcast is called Failed State Update. Through interviews and original reporting, each episode asks the question, is the world ending, or does it just seem like it is? Think of it as fresh air for the Orwellian dystopia we've suddenly found ourselves in. Available now on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. Uh, you can reach me at Opperman Investigations and Digital Forensic Consulting through my website, emailrevealer.com. If you like today's show, be sure and check out uh, oppermanreport.com, where we have our member section with all kind of exclusive content and additional shows that you won't find anywhere online. And as always, our archives are free, and you can get our free archives at Spreaker.com. And if you go to Spreaker.com, I want you to look up uh, our guest here, uh, Lenny Flatley, okay? Um, Joseph L. Flatley, uh, who we've had on the show previously. And also, if you go to Spreaker, and the only place you can find it on my stuff is on Spreaker. It's not on YouTube or anything like that. Uh, we're playing his whole series, his previous series he did on the so-called Prophet of Pittsburgh. Uh, but you can find that directly from Lenny at uh, LennyFlatley.net. Mr. Flatley, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Am I pronouncing that right? Flatly or flatly? Flatly. Flatly. Okay. Yeah. yeah like flatly earthly. Okay. <laughs> Remind <laughs> the audience, man. Who is that? And you like to be called Joseph or Lenny? Um, you can call me Joseph. That's my byline. Um, I make it confusing. I use both. But. Yeah, I know. What do you got? Warrants? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on there, buddy? <laughs> well, Tell- Gene. Um <laughs> Remind, yeah, so, remind the audience who is Joseph Flatley, Lenny Flatley. I am a uh, journalist based in Pittsburgh. I cover, you know, just fringe topics, any, you know, anything that's kind of unusual or out of the mainstream. And the reason I like those kind of topics, kind of topics that you cover, um, is because I don't think they're really that unusual. I think people think they are. People don't like to kind of acknowledge how strange the average human being is or how much this stuff goes on. So... Yeah, so uh, the reason I'm here is I have I did this eight-part investigation podcast called The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, where I really got to know ex-members of this cult in in uh, Arizona with a leader from Pittsburgh uh, called the Global Community Communications Alliance, um, and kind of told the story of the leader and of the cult and of the you know the cult's former followers and you know how they're trying to deal with putting their life together after having been in this cult. Gotcha. So, and since the last time you've been on our show talking about the so-called prophet of, uh, of uh, Pittsburgh, there, there's some, been some new developments? Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of the um, biggest thing is I revealed on the show that um, there were there's 
been incidents of sexual abuse that uh, happened in in the cult. Um, incidents that have been kind of swept under the rug by the cult leadership. Not that they condoned it or committed any of these acts, just that they didn't want to deal with it. Um, since we spoke, um, one of the victims heard my podcast and decided to come forward. Um, two victims came forward, actually. One, uh, I, protecting her identity, and the other one is this woman in uh, in uh, Indiana now who was r- raised in the cult since she was two years old. Yeah, that's really common. You know, when you do these podcasts, these radio shows and stuff like that, people who are involved in the case hear about it and they contact you with all kinds of new information. Mm-hmm. That happens all um, the time. Yeah. I uh, know. I have so many stories that I can't use because people are afraid to <laughs> come out. But they'll tell me their stories, but they don't want me to use them or use their name or, you know, at, you know, do it on background. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and for good reason, too, many times. So give sure. us an idea. What, what went on with these the two sexual abuse cases? Okay. Well, they were both um, children who, from a very young age, were brought into the cult by their parents or whose parents, you know, were in the cult. And um, so it's not like they joined. Um, one girl was uh, six years old, and they had this uh, homeless guy who they brought into the group, I mean, who's kind of their success story. They uh, The cult rehabilitated him, quote-unquote. And um, they made him the caregiver of the kids, and he would, like, expose himself to the children and <laughs> talk, speak inappropriately to the children. And one asked asked the one little girl to like sleep naked with him Hmm. um and then he eventually got kicked out and it's not entirely clear if he got kicked out for doing this or if he got kicked out and then the kids came forward but at any rate he's no longer with the group but there's this other guy who's abused at least two people that i've spoken to you know he was a teenager and a young adult and he was abusing young girls and um he's still there he uh he actually came forward to the cult's leadership and admitted some nasty stuff as far as um, exposing himself to uh, to children in the community. And, you know, I believe he said he was a pedophile and even like sex with animals. And the cult just, they didn't call law enforcement. They didn't call, you know, they didn't deal with it other than to say, you know, you're not allowed around kids anymore. And um, this is the story I've heard. And, uh, you know, they said, you're not allowed around kids anymore and we're going to pray for you basically you know the cult leader thinks he's the highest spiritual authority on the planet so why would he go to the police when they could just kind of like pray the problem away so he's still running around there and he's a valuable member of the community you know they're not it seems that seems to me that they're not really inclined to get rid of people if they're good workers and that's the whole scam here is you know they have all these businesses that they're operating that they're able to make a ton of money because they have so much free labor. Did any of these teachers ever uh, suffer any kind of a criminal investigation? All right. So there's uh, one, one guy, his name is uh, Danny Joseph Gonzalez. He was a children's teacher and he pleaded guilty last December to uh, one count of attempted sexual conduct with a former student who was 14 years old. Um, it was a bizarre case because he he was the ex-husband of the cult leader's daughter and he they had a child and he was fighting for custody of the kid and I just have to believe that if that wasn't the case if he was just anybody that they wouldn't have bothered going after him they'd figure he's out of the community that's fine but 
you know, the fact that that the cult leader really doesn't like him, it's his ex-son-in-law, had to have, you know, had to play a part in this. So they, uh, so they, you know, so this girl came forward. She said basically that um, this Danny Joseph Gonzalez, you know, started uh, texting back and forth with her, messaging her, and then they started meeting up. And eventually there's a, uh, you can hear excerpts of a, a video that I was able to attain on my podcast. And it's a, it's a, um, uh, excuse me, a welfare, uh, you know, some sort of uh, social worker interviewing the girl about the, the crimes. And um, yeah, the cult went after him hardcore and it, you know, it was originally the, the, there were like 10 counts and it got taken down to one count of attempted sexual conduct. And that's what they busted him for. And he went away in December and he's looking at seven and a half years inside. Yeah, usually uh, these guys, they serve three and a half years of an eight-year sentence. That's exactly what the, the average is out there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. Okay. You, know, everyone, you always see these uh, memes online saying, oh, we should uh, execute pedophiles. We don't even give them 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> execute? Are you kidding me, man? Mm-hmm. You Because know, people think you know, they get these long sentences. They really don't. And if it's a family member, it's, it's some of these cases, if it's a family member, like six months. You know? Oh really? It's un- it's outrageous. Now this young girl, the fourteen year old, uh, how long ago did this happen? Um, so, so this uh, Danny Joseph Gonzalez was arrested in February of two thousand nineteen. Okay. So he left the community in two thousand eighteen. So it happened in t- sometime in two thousand eighteen, I believe. And and the fourteen year old is still a member of the cult. Yeah, yeah. Her family, her family are um, high ranking. You know, are important members of this cult, and um, yeah, they're still there. And you know, all the cult, all the families in this cult have been divorced <laughs> at least once. And you know, so it's like one big extended family. So it's like she's got a mother, and you know, a stepmother, and sisters, and you know, so it's like they're they're well ingrained in it. And you know, this didn't shake their faith in it at all. You know, they they didn't like see, well, our kids are being abused. We should <laughs> rethink about you know whether or not we want to be in this cult. They're uh, you know, their faith was not shaken at all by this event. It doesn't seem. And it's Danny Gonzalez. Uh, are there any other allegations from other students or other children there in the in the, uh, the cult? No. no, no. I mean, I've spoken to just speaking of rumors. He doesn't seem like like outside the cult. He he seems like he's uh, you know, a lot of girlfriends, a lot of like, you know, like um, relationships that didn't end well. You know, but like. You know, might be a little bit of a player, but I don't think he was like a. I think this was a crime of opportunity. I think he saw this fourteen-year-old girl that, you know, didn't look like a fourteen-year-old girl. Looked more adult, and you know, he's not probably, you know, probably not the most ethical person, and thought he'd take advantage of this opportunity. I don't think, but he's, you know, you know, there are other people in the community, or at least one other person in the community who I think is a serial predator. Um, so it's definitely like. There are people walking around, and uh, Danny's cousin, allegedly, um, who is also a teacher, um, ale- you know, allegedly um, attacked a ten-year-old boy, uh, not sexually, but you know, just was teaching him and got frustrated, and you know, kicked him, you know, and, and kicked him a bunch of times and left bruises on him, and that's that's an allegation that's working its way through the uh, Santa Cruz County Sheriff department county attorney um right now so i mean you know seems like there's a lot of uh 
poorly behaved adults here and a lot of uh, children that are at risk just because they're around them. Yeah, but the 10-year-old was the gentleman that I interviewed, right? That yes. His son? yes. Right. Okay. And what was his name again? Uh, the gentleman you interviewed? Yeah. Or the... Oh, no, that's uh, right. You don't, no, don't say his name because we didn't air that interview. I never aired that interview. Oh, okay. Yeah, that okay. Back. yeah, I forgot all about okay. that. Yeah, There's so right. much going on here with this uh, virus. Oh, I know. <laughs> it confused me all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, now, um, so the 10-year-old was assaulted. Okay, we got that one. All right. And that's still under investigation. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then what is going on now? You're saying that the, the cult is in the hemp business now? Oh, yeah, yeah. So so the way that this Danny Gonzalez got into the cult was he was living in, uh, I think it was Washington State. and But he was part of this startup company. It was And it was like, you know, it was just some goofy company that like sold um, bracelets over Instagram to, you know, millennials or whatever. But it was worth like, I've heard, you know, from multiple sources that it was worth like a million dollars. So it was a pretty big company. And... Gabriel and the well, the cult leaders um, heard that these people were interested in the cult and kind of like recruited members of this company, thinking they were going to take over this company and get all these assets and have this, you know, and have this uh, profit stream. And it didn't work well. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's a pattern. It seems like the cult figured out this way to absorb businesses, you know. And so, so there's um. So they recently announced that they were starting this hemp farm called Mystic Farms. And the way they got into this business, I've heard, is that um, they hired a company, a, uh, a consultant company that like taught them how to do the hemp business. And then through working with them, we're able to like sucker, <laughs> like, like recruit a couple members of this company and basically halved the company and took it over. And now they have this huge hemp farm which you know which i mean that's got to be a major revenue stream seeing as how once again they're not paying anybody or they're you know most of their labor force is volunteer now is marijuana legal in arizona um i'm not sure um you know i mean they're you know they're doing industrial hemp with with this without thc so but but i don't even that, a short time ago, you couldn't, you weren't allowed to grow that. You know, just to, right, right. Yeah, everything's right. changed suddenly. Yeah, <laughs> for all Crazy. these guys. Yeah. All right, so now they're in the, they're growing the, the hemp business over there. That the cult. What else is going on with these cult members down there? Oh, uh, just that they're kind of locked in because of uh, COVID nineteen. That's the yeah. It's like a couple members escaped a couple months ago, and. Uh, which I don't think they've had any escapes in a while. It goes in waves, you know, like a few years ago, like five or six people would, you know, left all around the same time or 10 people left around the same time. And then, then it's quiet for a while. And then they had like a couple people leave this, um, this, uh, early this spring, I guess this winter, a few months ago. And, um, that's how we learned about, excuse me. That's how we learned about the farm the mystic farms and um you know and how they kind of did that and um but yeah they're locked down the cult leader himself uh gabriel Fiorancha, he was recently in the hospital with a broken uh, hip so i think i think they're kind of like looking towards the future like you know the guy's in his 70s he's he's been hospitalized a number of times they're just trying to figure you know my my feeling is that they're trying to figure out what to do in the future like so that's the question. Like, you know, they have two kids that are supposed to be 
um, the leader has two children that are supposed to be like taking over the reins when the parents step down. But um, you also have these uh, business managers. You have these so-called elders who are like the leadership of the cult that have actually been managing this business, which is worth at least millions of dollars. Um, you know, I the uh, Corporation Commission in Arizona no longer requires uh, nonprofits to say how much money they have in their corporate filings. That's as of 2008. But in 2008, they were worth like $22 million, you know, according to these records. So I'm sure that's a very conservative estimate. Um, you know, I, I would, I don't have it right in front of me, but, you know, another, you know, couple, $20 million or something, I believe, in um, real estate. Um, that's a very conservative estimate. So this is a big operation. I might be getting these numbers wrong, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there's millions of dollars at play here. It's a big company, basically a big operation and i don't think they're going to hand it over to these kids yeah. you know that don't have any training in this that you know don't have any common sense because they've never lived in the real world so so yeah it's in flux it'll be really interesting to see where it goes and you could turn out one of the situations of mass suicide you know when the, when the leader yeah. goes um, well yeah yeah that's that's the thing it's like you don't you don't have any sense of i mean you look at you look at Waco or you look at Jonestown. None of those people knew until the very last second that that was coming. You know, that was all handled by the the leadership. Now I don't get the sense that that's who this group is. I think you know I think it's all an opportunity for Gabriel, the cult leader, to live like a king. <laughs> I don't think he's like really interested in you know that stuff. I think this is just like a good business for him. But I don't know, you know. And it's like it's a dangerous situation having a bunch of people locked off like that in the middle of nowhere have are there any cases of uh covid19 on, on the compound there uh not that i'm aware of but they're like i said they're locked down and they're not like there's a couple people you know they're not supposed to have any contact with outsiders there's a couple people that i know of that just can't resist like getting on facebook and arguing with ex-members you know so it's like that's how like most of the information was coming out but that's dried up like especially since this podcast came out they're not they're you know they're really just keeping to themselves right now as far as i can tell right and your podcast the so-called prophet of pittsburgh right we can find over at uh, uh lennyflatley.com um yeah dot net net okay um have you had any response from this uh, group since you started playing the podcast? Uh, not at all. Um, I've had, like, right when it started, um, <laughs> like, one of the cult leader's daughters emailed me, but she thought she was being clever and using, like, a fake email address, <laughs> but I, I could tell it was her, um, asking like, some questions, and then when I didn't get back to her, she, you know, basically said, Oh, you know, she acknowledged that she had heard the podcast, but, um, but the, um, the one ex member who's on the outside, the one, uh, the one member of Gabriel's family is on the outside. You know, I know that they've complained to her about it, but I haven't had any communication okay. at all. Because aren't they very litigious? They are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I really can't explain it, and I'm just not. 
I'm just, you know, counting my blessings, I guess. Well, I guess most maybe it's just mostly to members and ex-members that want to go after people that are in their close circle uh, that they want to keep uh, uh, in court. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you even see that with these custody cases. Like, um, the person that we talked to, both that we're not naming right now, he, um, you know, he was close to the higher-ups of the cult. So when he left, they really wanted to nail him. So they, like, when, you know, spent years in court trying to, like, you know, yeah. you know, in this nasty custody case. But, um, you know, I, you know, there's another guy that I left that I haven't spoken to yet, but people have told me that, like, you know, he, he filed for custody for his kid and Gabriel's like, yep, just take him, <laughs> get, get, get him out of here, you know? So it's like the, the, um, the legal stuff really does seem to be, like you said, a, um, you know, a means to attack certain like kind of high value ex-members. How many daughters does this guy have? So um, he has twins, uh, twin daughters, um, one named Delavan, who's still in the group, and Sanskrita, who left, who is uh, featured on several episodes of my podcast. And um, then he has a son named Amadon, who's set to take over whenever Gabriel you know, goes on to the next universe or whatever. And then, then he has a young daughter. Uh, he has a, like a third daughter. Who's the youngest who was married to this Danny Joseph Gonzalez character. That's fascinating stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. <What>? It's, it's <laughs> endless. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Now what else can we expect to hear uh, coming out in the future from this group from on, you know, on your investigation? Oh, uh, well, you know, right now I'm a, uh, I'm doing kind of like the actual investigation has uh, run its course with eight episodes. I'm, I might do a second season, but I've been doing a lot of bonus episodes. So um, interviews with um, just like people who have been calling me after hearing it saying, oh, I want to tell you my story. And um, yeah, I'm telling individual stories about these characters. And um, I actually have a new podcast. It's called Failed State Update, which is uh, – going to be handling these cult stories and just other investigations that I'm doing. So that's my, my current project. But if they go to LennyFlatley.net, they can see the cult stuff. They can see my new stuff. It's all all up there. Yeah, when we get back from this commercial break, I want to ask you about failed state. Uh, uh, failed state. Uh, what's it called? Failed, failed state. Right? Failed state update. Oh, yeah, it does say update. Yeah, okay. I thought it was just... <laughs> An update, yeah, but failed state update. We're going to ask you about that when we get back. We're talking Sounds to Lenny good. Flatley, who's the expert on the so-called prophet of Pittsburgh. Uh, he revealed the story to the world. Um, you can catch it and his podcast of so-called prophet of Pittsburgh uh, that you can find at uh, LennyFlatley.net. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to him about his, um, coming when we come back from the break, about his uh, newsletter he's putting out and also about his new podcast, Failed State Update. We'll be right back with more of Lenny Flatley after these messages. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman. Uh, we're here today with Lenny Flatley. You can find him at LennyFlatley.net. Uh, he's did this uh, incredible series of uh, podcasts about uh, the so-called prophet of Pittsburgh uh, that you can find at LennyFlatley.net. He's got a newsletter coming out, and I'm going to be talking about his new podcast, Fail State Update. Tell us about the newsletter first, Lenny. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, so the newsletter is also called Failed State Update, and it's kind of a... Uh, complimentary to the podcast and b 
basically, you know, I've been covering these kinds of fringe stories, you know, my whole career, basically. And um, they've just been slowly crawling towards the center of American life, you know. And then with this COVID stuff, forget it. You know, all bets are off. Everybody's talking about, you know, all these things that seemed really fringy and weird um, are just part of the discourse, you know militias militias you know protesting at state houses and you know these covid conspiracies and stuff and um you know i think these kind of stories are important and i uh just want to have a venue where i can look at them intelligently and um you know in newsletters and podcasts self-produced newsletters and podcasts seem to be the way to go it's uh you know it's almost impossible to get editors interested in this stuff or if they are interested in it, they already have their guys. So, so I'm doing, you know, I'm going straight to the people, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> okay, so the first episode: militia dudes and juggalos. What do we have? Juggalos are those uh, guys from the insane clown posse, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> okay. right. Yeah. So that is one. I'm, I'm kind of doing a, a mix with the podcast of like more interview-based stuff, like we're doing now, yeah. and then the more heavily produced documentary investigations, like so-called profit from Pittsburgh that are almost more like a documentary. And, um, but that one, I felt the need to like, just get out. Um, because you know, I was in, I'm in Western Pennsylvania. So we have our share of like militia people out in the County. I'm in the city of Pittsburgh, but you know, you drive, spend half an hour driving East and all of a sudden you're in, you know, you're in Kentucky and, um, essentially. And so, you know, I was hearing about all these, uh, you know, reopen the economy protests and then you know just seeing the people with the guns show up and it's like it's like what what is going on here so i called a couple militia leaders that i know and um just asked them what their take on the the reopen protests were and it was really interesting the one guy was very much you know politically conservative you know we should reopen the economy people need to work which i understand you know a lot of liberals on twitter or whatever are hating on people who are trying to reopen the economy because they just, you know, they think they're mindless, you know, Trump followers. But, you know, there's whether or not you agree with it, and I don't agree with it, there's a lot of real legitimate concerns about that people have about, you know, being unemployed and not having money. And, you know, what good is um, surviving COVID-19 if you, you know, lose your house? Um, so I spoke to the one militia leader about that. And then the other militia leader was the complete opposite. He was like, yeah, you know, we, we're tied into this militia network. We talk to people all over the world, all over the country, people who are in military all over the world, um, people who are in medicine. And, you know, we're convinced that COVID is real. Um, our, you know, our contacts tell us that this is real and to take it seriously. So we're not going to any protests. We're not having any large gatherings. We're preparing for the worst. So that that episode was my opportunity to kind of like get out of the media bubble, the Twitter bubble, and um, actually see what these people that, you know, you usually only ever read about are actually thinking about this stuff. And it was just really interesting that um, I just thought it was kind of amusing that, you know, the militia, the one militia guy was like reopen the economy. And that was the same time that the Juggalos canceled their gathering. You know, the Insane Clown Posse have a, have an annual concert called the gathering of the juggalos and they canceled it this year because of COVID. And, you know, they were like, you know, they're insane clown posse, but they were very like serious and they were very like 
smart about it. They're like, not one juggalo life is worth it to have this party. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, these are the guys with the common sense. These are the guys with the brains, you know, the guys dressed up in clown makeup. So so that's where we went with the first episode. I don't know. The world with a few less juggalos might be better off. <laughs> You know, I'd tell you something, you know, you talk about these militia guys showing up with guns at protests. Um, mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, I was very active back in Las Vegas. All the uh, Black Lives Matters protests, all the anti-Trump, pro- you know, mm-hmm. Fight for 15, everything. I was in all of them, yeah. police shootings. And uh, the, there was this one. She pops up. Uh, I talked to the organizer. She was, no one ever heard of this chick. Moveon.org was behind it. They bust in all these people from California. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the hotels let them use the parking garage to park their cars for free and even gave them free water bottles. Mm. And, yeah, and also, too, there was this, this big staged incident where they sat down in the street and they blocked traffic, and the cops actually blocked the traffic off from a, a parking garage so that people couldn't come out of the park for this staged event. Well, they, they ran up to a fence and you know tried to knock this fence down when there was construction going on. Mm-hmm. And that was the only incident we ever had where some militia types showed up with rifles. Uh, the whole thing was just so suspicious. Nobody, nobody knew anybody that was running this thing. And I actually, yeah. when I was asking around about it, they kicked me out of the Facebook. <laughs> oh, really? Know, I, yeah. Announcement for it. I said, who are you guys? You know, no one's heard of you. So that was a, I always look at these protests with a suspicious eye, man. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. You know, it only took a second for the... Um, for people to scratch the surface of these reopen the economy protests and find, you know, Turning Point USA and these like Tea Party yeah. groups, you know. So, I mean, it's obvious that this is all coordinated by somebody trying to make political hay. But, you know, it's still useful to talk to the people that are actually there and they don't see it that way. And I get maybe that's the real story. You know, it's like that people are being, you know, drawn into these protests and. It doesn't occur to them that they're being used. Mm. Exactly. Now, what about Amazon.com uh, and the crisis? Christian Smalls. That name sounds very familiar. Oh, yeah. Christian Smalls. He was the guy who um, worked at Amazon in Queens at the huge fulfillment center there that became kind of like the an epicenter of, uh, of COVID-19 cases among Amazon. And um, basically, he... They weren't doing Amazon wasn't doing anything about about COVID. Like, you know, when um if some you know, when people turned up sick since they weren't you know, since they w- didn't turn up sick at work, they wouldn't close things down, even though we all know that if you're get sick you've been walking around spreading this thing for the last week. So, um so this guy, Christian, he's he's a really good guy. He was never like an activist or never in like the labor movement or anything, but he was a some sort of manager at Amazon, and his employees started getting sick. So he thought, you know, I can't let this happen. So he stopped going to work. He stopped clocking in, and every day he would go into Amazon, into the break room, and spend his eight-hour shift instead of working, like getting news and telling all the the people there that you know, you know. Getting, getting the latest news and notifying everybody what's going on. This is how many cases this person was sick. If you were around this person, you should go home. And um, eventually Amazon fired him for it. And he's kind of become like the national leader, national spokesperson of these uh, Amazon, uh, anti-Amazon protests. Because it's absolutely crazy. It's not like the Amazon fulfillment centers. That's not food. That's not essential items. That's, you know, books and batteries and 
you know, remote controls and Kindle Fire sticks, stuff that like overwhelmingly are not necessary and, you know, they should shut these places down or slow them down um, to, you know, so they can properly remediate, you know, handle the spread of virus. But Amazon's not doing that. And uh, Rich Bezos or Bezos, Jeff Bezos, as you know, is um, really raking it in (laughs) during this like coronavirus, everybody staying home in order from Amazon thing. So we just kind of went into those issues. Yeah, we're already seeing um, for rent signs on small businesses all over the place down here where, mm-hmm. where I'm living now. So obviously, yeah. you know, uh, all that all those sales going to be going to Amazon, you know, and, and yeah, with a whole new economy moving forward, and a lot of opportunism going on here for sure. Oh, absolutely! Uh, yeah. And I work from home, and um, you know, my my office window overlooks the street, and ever since the uh, quarantine started, all day it's it's. UPS, FedEx, yeah. you know, Amazon vans up and down the street. You know, it's like it was never like this before. So people are literally just if they can afford it, they're just staying home and ordering stuff online all day. And if they can't afford it, they're going to work and getting sick and getting well, their well, families. Some sick. things you have to like those masks. You couldn't get them anywhere. You had to order them online. Uh, right, right, right. Now, what about? Oh, yeah. Laura Johnson Cole. Name sounds very familiar. She was been on my show. <sighs> she might have been. She's done the rounds. She is a. Um, she she was at Jonestown. Right. She was a member of People's Temple, and she lived in Jonestown, and then got kicked out of Jonestown or sent away from Jonestown right before the mass murder, massacre, suicide that you know claimed 918 lives. And um, the reason I told her story is you know it's historical, but it's still certainly relevant. Um, we got into her political motivations and really talked about how people didn't. People think Jonestown, they think like mindless cult members or it's a religious cult or, you know, they're worshiping the guy. But really, she was not like that. And a, a, a large portion of the people that joined joined because they really were a political justice organization that was doing good work. And it just all got perverted by Jones at the top and, you know, with this tragic outcome. So I think now nowadays, more than ever, People need to be skeptical of leaders. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's a historical story, but I think it's really relevant to 2020. Yeah, Jones had his own intel, suspicious behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and connections going yeah. on there. Mark Lane over there. Uh, what uh-huh. the hell was he up to? <laughs> I, yeah, think to- I, I think I remember talking to Cole about that, or one of those Jonestown people, about how yeah. they were all held at the airport for like 90 hours. They were kept on the plane, weren't allowed to get off the plane. But Mark Lane got out of there. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, he. Yeah. yeah, he was. You know, he was at the. Um, he was there when it started, yeah. if I remember correctly. So it's. So he always claimed that he was not um, the People's Temple lawyer. He was there. He was brought there by the People's Temple lawyer Charles Gary, um, to you know do some sort of presentation or to meet Jones or something, and. Um, I believe they were there when it started, and they ended up like walking out. If yeah. I'm, I'm, if I'm not getting my like two stories mixed up. Oh so no, no, I'm, they were there. They were there while the suicides were going yeah. on, and somehow they got out. You know, yeah, the two, yeah, 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 like like yeah, the two, you know, the t- these two lawyers in these like cheap suits or whatever, like polyester <laughs> suits, walking through the jungle <laughs> for 24 hours. You know, it's funny because that's just how I envisioned it too. You know. <laughs> Their briefcases, you know. <laughs> okay, well, we gotta go. We got a deposition to get to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my god! Oh, you know, you gotta, you gotta laugh. Jonestown was just such a suspicious operation over there. Now, one of the last things you got here is this thing about episode. I, I am seeing UFOs. What is this about? 
Oh, yeah. So um, Adam Gilrightly, who's a... Um, I had him on the show, yeah. Yeah, you know, so he... Um, so I had him on, and what we were talking about is the weird intelligence connections between the UFO scene and... Or in the UFO scene, you know, basically how... You know, the Paul Benowitz affair. So this guy, Paul Benowitz, who was a military contractor, started seeing weird things, you know, in his uh, equipment, like his radio equipment and, you know, strange things that he videotaped near uh, Air Force Base, which is named um, Kirtland Air Force Base. And um, he contacted the base security because he wanted to tell him what was up. And what apparently happened was Benowitz stumbled upon some top secret um, experimental aircraft. So the Air Force Base used this opportunity to tell him, no, there were UFOs. And basically this began this um, operation where for years, you know, various people in the UFO community were receiving uh, disinformation or misinformation from Air Force Office of Special Intelligence. And, you know, really it's just mind-blowing that this whole UFO movement, you know, you know in popular culture, X-Files, all this stuff could come from you know, basically an AFOSI disinformation campaign. And it just makes you wonder what else what else in the culture was just dreamt up by some bored uh, intelligence officer somewhere. Yeah, it almost seems like everything is, you know. Especially, yeah. you know, especially if you ever looked into the work, uh, you know, Pierce, yeah, you know Pierce Rudman, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that they've done when he was with that guy, um, you know what I'm talking about, they're from England. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tom Sacker. Tom Sacker, right. Um, when they looked into all the financing, the CIA financing, Cupcake Wars and American Idol and all this stuff, yeah. they got their hands in everything, you know? And you, you really start to think, is it really that um, uh, the CIA is just uh, infiltrating these things? Or, or is it it's just part of the CIA? You know, it's just part it, of intelligence yeah. operation. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think Tom Sacker likes me too much. I he follows me on uh, Instagram and just every once in a while. See, because I have a sense of humor about this stuff. Yeah. And um, I think having a sense of humor kind of offends people who take it really seriously. I know. Sec is one of those guys. <laughs> He's exploded <laughs> all over me a few times and he comes back yeah. a year later and apologizes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, I don't know. It doesn't bother me that much, but I don't like being insulted either. I don't like, I don't like no, people, no, you know, no. attacking me for no reason. You know, what are you going to do? All right. right. What, are you, what are you working on this week? Uh, this week, I just, um, so I've been working on this article for the newsletter. It started out as a chapter of this book I was kind of writing off again, on again, about um, count the kind of how counterinsurgency you know, mil in mil as the military practice overseas, which has been going on since, you know, really since we were in the Philippines, <laughs> you know, in the 1800s was like, you know, that's, you know, at least, you know, it's been going on for hundreds of years, but like, that's when we, like the current doctrine, that's when it was really first put together in the American military. So it's an old, old practice. And it's had this kind of constant interaction with American policing, you know, like, mm -hmm. People will be in the military, then they join the police, and they'd bring the military coin stuff to the police. Then, you know, the army would invade Afghanistan, and then they'd go to the LAPD or whoever to get counterinsurgency training, you know. So it's like this back-and-forth thing, you know, between the military and the police. And I'm kind of looking at that historically and then asking the question, like, 
how is that going to play into contact tracing and how is that going to become basically covid response like i think covid19 gives and i'm not saying it's not real or dangerous yeah. but you know what's that phrase never let a good crisis go to waste you know i think this is going to be a way for a lot of agendas as far as you know orwellian big brother stuff and more like police militarization stuff to be enacted in this country so i'm looking at that but it's a huge subject and i don't know if <laughs> if i'm gonna get it are you following all that the, stuff with nicole junkerman and that because she's behind that software no nicole junkerman yeah she came up johnny vedmore is doing this excellent reporting on this okay and i think that was mm -hmm. the first show that he came on after he wrote the article because she was on epstein's plane so we mm -hmm. do this report and uh on the you know and she's going all over the world because because she's behind that software that does the oh social, wow yeah yeah okay yeah. <laughs> she has all kinds of intelligence connections too she's they, he calls her the bond girl you know i'll send you some yeah. links it's a fascinating story oh please do and vedmore is a great guy man this guy does great work um yeah. so what do you call it so now she's all over the world making these defamation lawsuits to get the videos taken down YouTube in Britain, YouTube in England, YouTube in, in Germany and Denmark, places where, you know, it's not even in English. <laughs> it's not even in the language oh over there. Yeah. So she's on a, a tear here. Every, every now and then I get another letter from YouTube saying a defamation lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so check that out. One more thing, too. Uh, uh, you mentioned about how the, the policing back and forth. Uh, some friends of mine have done that. They've gone there to Iraq to train the police over mm -hmm. there, the NYPD guys, and it's all pretty much just uh, patronage, you know, slush fund money going. They leave the hotel when they get there, man. <laughs> you know, they don't do any training. So some of that money is just, you know, payoff money. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, and that's always been, it's killing me. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's he's the guy that everybody was saying was Jim Jones's um, handler for the CIA. Right. Yeah, I know. Um, the guy in Brazil, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to, um, you know, he was like, he had a, you know, he, he knew Jones because they were both in Indiana together. He was a sheriff and then right. he he became a, you know, a consultant for the USAID and, you know, the, the you know, the terrorists in Brazil and uh, the, the Tucumaro or whatever they were called, you know, got him. So it's like everywhere you go, there's this weird intelligence police connection. I mean, one of the bit, you know. Yeah, we, did a whole, we did a whole show about that guy you were talking about there. And yeah. when, when he died, they put on a whole benefit for him. And Frank Sinatra and Jerry Lewis and all those guys showed up. Right, right, he was like right. a hero, this guy. Hey, real yeah. quick, too, because we're almost out of time. Did you catch my reporting on the, the, the uh, coup attempt down there in Venezuela with all of Trump's bodyguards and stuff? Um, I've been following <laughs> that. I haven't heard your episode on that yet. Um, that is crazy. Uh, yeah. At this one, Trump's private security guards who ran this operation, Keith Schiller was introducing them, who was Trump's longtime bodyguard, uh, uh -huh. was introducing them to Maduro and all that stuff. Not Maduro, Guadro. Uh, okay. They, well, Trump's private security. And then also, too, there's all guys connected with Rudy Giuliani and drug smuggle and uh, money laundering down there. Giuliani's client was uh, part of this whole thing. It's all, This is Trump's private coup, funded by drug dealers and, and coke dealers, money launderers, and his private private security guards yeah you know i was wondering about that connection because i mean i understood that the company did security at trump events which you know how many security companies have been you know hired by trump to do security at events but you're saying that the connection was 
that it was his private security guards? Keith Schiller, his firm? private bodyguard, is for years mm-hmm. and years and years. You know, like I know Keith Schiller. I did. I did work for Keith Schiller, mm-hmm. and Keith Schiller back then used to recruit for Blackwater back in those days. Uh, but Keith Schiller, yeah, Keith Schiller introduced that guy. Uh, Guavir, Guadir, whatever his name is, the guy who stayed here in the United States and didn't go down there, but started tweeting oh. about the invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he introduced him to uh, huh. Guado. Oh, man, I got to catch up. You know, yeah. it's like you don't listen to podcasts when you're busy recording them, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I got to You know what, up. too, man, you're better off. You know, do your own research and stuff like that because there's a lot of so much disinfo out there. Everybody, you know, talking yeah, about crap, yeah, repeating yeah. stuff they saw on YouTube and stuff like that. It's, okay. uh, what do you want to leave us with, my friend? We're out of time. Okay, so I got to mention my l- new article. It's coming out in uh, next month, so like June 2nd, on a website called pleasekillme.com, which is this great, like, you know, kind of like, pop culture slash you know like rock and roll punk rock slash kind of some like true crime uh website uh pleasekillme.com and it's um i have an article coming out called the cult of cosmo pop now we didn't even touch upon uh this cult gabriel Viranca, the so-called prophet from pittsburgh his like his music career he wants to be a huge musician he records all these like really ridiculous albums and he calls his genre of music Cosmo Pop. But um, I'm doing an article for them, and it's uh, coming out, you know, like I said, June 2nd. And it's a uh, kind of a breakdown of the cult story with all these more details about the new details that I, you know, have really releasing for the first time on this podcast, talking to you. It's going to come out in this article, and people should definitely check it out. Excellent. Uh, LennyFlatley.net. Check it out. So-called Prophet of Pittsburgh, and the other one is called, what's that thing called, Update something? Failed State Update. Failed State Update. And I encourage people to go back and listen to my previous interviews with Lenny Flatley on Spreaker.com. And if you're listening to this on AMFM Radio, I, I do a one-hour solo show that's only on the Internet. You can find it on Spreaker. And I did a whole long report on Trump, private security, and coke dealers invading Venezuela. <laughs> okay? And I encourage people to go check that out, too, because it got a lot of reaction after I did that, man. It was just stuff in there that no one would know because I know these guys. All right, Lenny Flatley, man, thank you so much. Thanks, Ed. Good night.